Awesome. So glad you're here, guys. What a day. Um, we are continuing to move through uh, Genesis. And as we do, we just started, so you're really not that far behind at all if you're new visiting with us. As we do, we're immediately like, you will at some point in your life get confronted with like four major questions. And, and it's what forms every worldview. Here's what I mean. It's a question of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, you will at some point ask, where did I come from? Or kids will, I mean, where did I come from? Where did everything come from? And of course, last week, Genesis one and two, God's gonna give an account of how he did it. But maybe you believe that, maybe you believe that ah, it's time plus chance plus mutation or whatever, but everyone's gotta wrestle with origin. Where did I come from? And then we ask questions of meaning, like what in life is worth living for? What is truly the good life? People are gonna answer that in different ways. And some are answering it obviously with their life. It's their career. It's getting money. Just take a look at their home. Take a look at what they write. Take a look at where they put their time, their energy, their money, their investment. You'll see what they're living for, right? What is worth living for? Maybe it's just good grades, a job, a spouse. What is it? And even in Genesis, we saw that answer last week. It's relationship with God. It's intimacy with him. It's to be a part of his work. Whereas image bearers, we rule the earth and we have meaningful, intimate relationship with each other and with him. But this morning, we talk about a question of morality. And we're asking this question, what went wrong? We look around us and we go, what went wrong with this world? And how do you fix it? Everyone's wondering about that and everyone's answering that maybe very differently. Every election, it would seem that some people are answering that with an elected official. Oh, well, if we got that president, he'd fix it. Or well, if we could keep this one, he'd fix it. This past year, I found myself thinking, maybe I ought to run for president. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like, ah, oh, what's going to fix it? Is it a political answer? Is it just greater education? Oh, if we just had better education, you know, yeah, that would, that would certainly do it. What if it's, if it's just, I don't know, a vaccine, right? I mean, hey, if we get a vaccine and something, yeah, but what if we get another pandemic. Do we just need to recycle more? Do, what, what about global warming? We got to cool this thing down. You know, like what is the answer to the problems we see around us? Because like you, I look at the newsfeed and I'm like, man, things are broken. And I don't even have to look outside there to go, oh, it's in that country or it's on our streets or storming our capital. No, I actually can just look in the mirror and go, man, I am messed up. There's brokenness in me. There's stuff I'm doing wrong, saying wrong, thinking wrong. How can that begin to get fixed? And guys, this morning, as we open the Bible, we are going to see that God is going to fix things. Look, the Bible is going to answer this, what went wrong and how he is going to fix it as we look at Genesis 3. I am so thrilled to teach this passage. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up. Open it up, and actually, I would ask you to open it up to Genesis 2, verse 15. One of the seven things I told us about God introducing himself last week in this book of beginnings was that God is a supreme authority. And we have to see the one command that he gave in Genesis 2 so that chapter 3 makes sense. Look at the one commandment God gave in Genesis 2, 15. It says this, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day, 
you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, let me stop. God is the supreme authority. He is the law giver and he is the law enforcer. As, as an authority figure, he can do that. We talked a little bit last week. Why would God even give a command where people could sin and fall into eternal judgment? And I said, I think it's because you cannot love when you are forced to. God gave the option of rejection. And he puts us mankind in an amazing garden. We talked all about that last week. An amazing food and everything he could want, right? If he could change the temperature, he wouldn't go up a degree or down a degree. He wouldn't ask too humid. He wouldn't go, ah, food's bad. Well, he's about to. But I mean, he had a perfect world in front of him. And yet into that garden, he would find himself leaning away from God's clear command. It was clear, wasn't it? You can eat from any tree, anywhere. Just that one? Not that one. And now we ask the question of morality. What went wrong? And we see it described in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 through 7 says this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was so desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it. She ate, she ate also, I'm sorry, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In Genesis 1 and 2 last week, we were introduced not only to God and what an amazing introduction, but also to Adam and Eve. This week, there's a new figure in our text. We get a new introduction to the serpent or rather Satan that is somehow using the serpent and is in the conversation. And you wonder, well, who is that serpent? What is that? The, the Bible is gonna connect this, the movement of the serpent to Satan himself. Look at Revelation 12, nine. I love this, even from cover to cover, first book of the Bible, last book of the Bible, the Bible is not only consistent, but it interprets other passages. It says, so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. So get this, this serpent is the devil. The devil's moving through this serpent to try and get Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. That's what we're looking at right now. But, but the devil originally was not sinful. Originally, the devil was one of God's created angels that was meant to bring him praise. But it was at some point before the creation of mankind, he sins against God and a bunch of angels follow him. They are now the demonic realm within the world and they are working to deceive others. Now, how does the devil begin his great deception? Let me say this. He starts with Eve in his crosshairs. And look how he begins it. Did God really say? Do you wanna know how temptation starts in our ears and in her ears? Just a little doubt. Doubting what? Doubting God's goodness. 
just a little whisper of, of doubt. Did, did, I mean, seriously, did God really say that? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, how's Satan doing at quoting God's original command? It's totally off. He is trying to shift our attention from the goodness and extravagance of God to something that is not true of God. Here's what I mean. God said, you can eat from any tree, any fruit, anywhere in the garden, just not that one. And Satan comes at it totally differently. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? See, right from the start, the devil makes God look like a miser, like this ultimate cosmic killjoy, like the one who's trying, like he sees your best, but he's like, yeah, I don't want him to have that. I want to keep goodness from them. And he puts in your mind some doubt that, you know what? Maybe God's holding back. Maybe God's keeping his best from me. And we begin to hear that doubt, right? I mean, you might find yourself reflecting as a college student. Yeah, did, did my dad really say I, I couldn't do that with his money? I mean, technically. I mean, yeah. did, did God really say now that I'm dating? I mean, is there really like a chapter and a verse that says, a guy and a girl can't do that before marriage. I mean, maybe not that, but I mean, did God really say? And we find ourselves pushing and struggling, and the heart of the lie is doubt. Satan comes first at us with just a little bit of doubt. And so Eve responds. Look in verse 2. We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. How's Eve doing it, quoting God? See, even she's starting to get a little bit turned around. God said, yeah, don't eat it. He didn't say don't touch it. Now, it might be a good idea not to touch that, and that might be down the path, but she's adding just a little bit. And so Satan is coming in with a counterfeit. He's coming in with something very close to the truth, and he's getting her turned around. And we've got to remember, the best counterfeit the best lie is the thing that's closest to the truth in the first place. I mean, hey, if you're going to make counterfeit money, and I don't suggest you do, you know, don't print bills blue. <laughs> you're not going to go that far in your counterfeit world. I mean, because cash is green. Like the best counterfeit is going to be really close to the truth. And you can see Satan just, just right on the edge, just tweaking. And now you see her getting a little bit turned around, a little bit off center, now adding a little bit to God's command. I think she has swallowed it, right? Hook, line, and sinker. And Satan is beginning to reel her in. And now he comes, doubt, look, has been followed by deception. And now with her defenses weakened, Satan comes at her with a bold-faced lie. Verse four, no, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, he is subtly, 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 now we're done with being subtle. He's got her on the line, and he's like, God's lying to you. God is totally lying to you. He knows he's trying to hold back. He didn't want you to be like God. Then you'll know good from evil. Like, that would be better for you. And doesn't Satan do that? He tries to convince us it'd be better to just be like God. Oh, yeah, that'd be kind of nice. I mean, I don't need anything from anyone. I don't answer to anyone. Anything I do is right. I'll bend all the attention and praise the people towards myself. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll be God. Maybe I'll sit on the throne of my life. Maybe I'll make the rules. 
And something about this knowing good from evil, God's like, that's not best for them. And Satan's like, see, God's keeping something from you. And in the midst of that temptation, here comes this bold face lie. You will be like God. And now the following couple verses, a couple of the saddest in all the Bible. Look at, with me at Genesis 3, 6, and 7. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Look, where was Adam? Real quick, where was Adam, the great protector and provider for his bride? Where was he when Satan was tempting his woman? Did you see that? Look back with me at verse 6. She took some of his fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Who was with her? He stood right there passively doing nothing while Satan tempted his bride. He had been given authority in the first couple chapters. You rule the earth, you subdue it, every living creature. He saw that serpent, he should have, boom, done that immediately. You don't talk to my bride. You don't try to get into our family that way. He should have dealt with that immediately, and he stands by passive. Some things never change. This is a struggle for every one of us men. To be passive when we should be leading. To be soft when we should be strong. I'm telling you, I know what this is like. John Maxwell great leader, he agrees with this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Every family, every company, every business, everything rises and falls on leadership. And at this point, Adam doesn't do his job. He's not a good leader and a protector. The sin of silence continues among so many of us. And you know what? I, in some ways, I just want to challenge the men out there. And then I find myself going, I struggle with this too. I have found myself before, like, watching a TV show with the family and being like, this is great, until it doesn't get great. It gets kind of raunchy, kind of the humor. You're like, Ugh. you know, and then there's a scene. You're like, ah, I hope it's the only one. Don't look. Don't look. You know, and, and, and you just let it go on too long. And I'm just embarrassed when in the past Jenny said, yeah, we should just turn this off. <laughs> Like the thing I should have said way sooner. And I always feel like such a loser when she does the right thing before me. That's probably pride being added to my, you know, negligence. But I'm telling you, it is so easy for men to commit the sin of silence. And we should be protecting our brides and our wives. It is good men to say, you know what? Put your phones down. We're going to open our Bibles. It's good to say, turn the TV off. We're going to do this as a family. It's good to say college men, hey, you know what? I actually heard that show has some things in there that wouldn't please Jesus and you wouldn't show it to a small child. So why would we? Why would we watch it? And I guarantee you, if there's women in that room, and I can say this based on what I think is true of my two college daughters, they in that moment, if some man had the guts to stand up, they'd go, thank you. They'd feel loved and protected. 
And you might be saying at this point, okay, hey, look, I'm not really tempted to eat bad fruit. As far as I know, everything public sells is good. You know, I, this Genesis 3 it still feels a little bit separate from me, right? I want you to see that this couldn't be more applicable because the subtlety of sin here in the garden is a subtlety of sin we struggle with. And Stephen Rice was really helpful as I studied this passage and he said this, you know what? Satan never shows you where this sin will take you. He only unfolds it one little bit at a time. In the midst of this small temptation, I never see the end for which the devil is taking me. Here's what I mean. When you're just scrolling down a little bit on social media, guys, being a little indiscriminate and probably shouldn't look at that, but I am, in that moment, you cannot see the tears streaming from the faces of your future children. You cannot hear the scream coming from the mouth of your future bride. You cannot feel the shame of what it will be like when they find out about your affair. And if you think for a moment, are you kidding me? Little social media could end in that. Satan's got you good. Because Satan won't show you the end. And you can't imagine in this moment that there will be people screaming and crying because of an adulterous affair in your life. And you will never in that moment connect it to TikTok. And just, it's just, no, it's not just. Satan is subtle. He hasn't changed a thing. And we must understand that God promises satisfaction and joy, not him. Here comes the confrontation of sin once mankind had failed. Jump back to Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I'm just gonna pause for just a second. I appreciated Stephen's words to me on this part of the message. He goes, you know, when God asks questions, he's never trying to get information from people he doesn't have. He's trying to show people things they don't know. When God said, where were you? Did you eat from the tree? It's not like he didn't know. He already knows, he didn't need information. He's trying to help people connect some dots. Isn't it strange, Adam, that you hid from me? You've never hidden from me. I've never walked into a room and you thought, oh, oh no. Is he, is he home yet? Never had a feeling, have you, Adam, where you're like, Did, will God find out? Um, I hope Eve doesn't tell God. I hope, and we know what that's like, right? I, I hope they don't talk to them. I, I hope no one, how do I do this? Well, I won't ever talk about it. I'm going to bury things. We know what it's like to begin to feel that, the shame that comes, the hiding. God's not trying to put their faces in it. 
Sometimes people do that with dogs, bad idea. Dog makes a mess, put their face in it. It's not gonna cure their problem. God's not doing that. He's not putting your face in it. He's not making you feel shame. No, he's trying to show them that's absolutely unnatural, that you would hide. What are you doing with clothes on? Like, I, I made you to have not shame about yourself. God's showing them the effects of sin. And what do they immediately do? They play a game, a game I wish I wasn't so good at. I call it the blame game. Did you see that? The blame game. It's like God lines them up. It's like, here's the man, here's the woman, here's the serpent, and, and he's talking to him. He says, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Did you do those things? And, and Adam, Adam goes first. Well, the woman, the woman you gave me, yeah, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Can you believe that? Adam's like, you know, I wouldn't have. You know I wouldn't, God. But actually, the woman, and then he goes further. The woman you gave me, God, I wish I could say it was just her. You did this to me. I mean, ultimately, she came from you. Yeah, last chapter, I was going, whoa, man. <laughs> She's my bride. And now, I'm blaming you for my sin. And the woman, same kind of thing. She goes, well, it's the serpent. You know, what have you done? Well, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Yeah, everyone's pointing the finger, except the serpent doesn't have a finger to point. He's like, I'm just the devil. This is what I do. <laughs> I think I get an A. Like, I'm just saying, the man and the woman, they do what I do. They play the blame game immediately. Don't you? I mean, Jenny confronting me, as she does often, as my girls do often, I think there's a conspiracy in my home. Anyways, that's a different message. But like, Paul, you're too harsh right now. You just need to be gentle. I'm like, I'm not yelling. Right there, the, right there, that. I'm like, ugh. You know, just, I don't know, all day. Yesterday, you were like my best friend. Now today, I don't. And I'm like, well. And sometimes I'll just, it's subtle. Ooh, see if you can catch it, ladies. Oh, Jenny, you're right. I shouldn't have been harsh. I didn't sleep well last night. And, uh, man, I still, I find myself still just frustrated with what Claire said the other day. And I've got to solve that with her. But um, you're right. Shouldn't be harsh. See what I did? I'm pretty good, right? It's subtle. Oh. And when you don't sleep well, I mean, who can blame you? You got permission to sin. And then uh, someone wronged you the other day? Two times permission to sin. I mean, I'm good. It's my sleep schedule. And you go, oh, well, at least I'm not like Paul. And you're like, uh, you know, I know I was going to help with dishes, right? But I got a job now, huh? I had to get up early. I mean, I guess if you had more than class, um, you might be tired too. But yeah, I'll get to those dishes. Like, you ever do things like that? Oh, man, I was going to, but I stayed up late doing homework because I still do my homework. Um, except you don't, but anyways, why don't you do dishes? You know, like, we have ways to blame others. Oh, that we would be men and women who just own it. Who just own it. I read a report of a high-ranking government official in the United States military who recently he was accused of, you, you misallocated some of the vaccines. They were supposed to go here and they were going there and you added it up wrong. 
and I was looking for it because I recorded it and put it and like I couldn't find it where I recorded it. But it was so beautiful because he goes, what I did was absolutely wrong. I counted it wrong. It will not happen again. The fault is mine. I bear, I'm like, dude, yes. Like that's what we can respect. Thank you for owning it. Oh, that we would be men and women who go, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Period. Not I was wrong, but if you hadn't first said this, then I wouldn't have said that. No, own it. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Period, full stop. <laughs> Move on. But they don't. They blame, they blame, they blame, and here come the consequences. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Genesis 3:14. Because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effect. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from the skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. Now look, oh, we're gonna talk about Satan's curse towards the end here. I wanna first talk about the curse that came to the woman separately, and then the curse that came to the man separately. And this is very interesting, that the curse that would come to the woman on behalf of her sin was primarily, certainly it affects every area of life, but in this passage, primarily in the domain of her family, that orientation that she would have, and the curse that came to the man, we'll see, is primarily in the orientation of his work. Check this out. To the woman, you will have increased labor pains. Okay, that's awful. I don't know what that's like. She was going to go through increased labor pains. I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. I've seen this three times. It looks bad. But you know what? Here's a little pain is helpful, right? You don't find yourself leaning against a hot stove and, oh, look, I melted my hand. You know, like a little pain is helpful. Increased pains. Bad news. And it's why every woman's going to get to heaven and first make a beeline for Eve and go, what's with that Eve? You know, no, I'm just kidding. You'll all run to Jesus and say, thank you for epidurals. Um, no. I, guys, increased pain during labor would be one of the experiences she would have. But I actually find this next one more interesting. It says something kind of hard to understand. It says, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Now, when guys first read that, they think, this ain't a curse. I think this is a blessing. Your desire will be for your husband. I mean, how could it not be? Look at me. You know, like, it's easy for a guy to think, maybe this is a woman desiring her husband. Not the way you want to be desired. And here's what I mean. How is this desire for your husband truly called a curse in Genesis 3. I appreciate, I think it was John Piper who followed the word desire, that Hebrew word, to the next time it was used since Genesis 4. And I won't steal the thunder from that passage for next week. Ryan will be teaching that. But get this. Sin is almost like personified like a lion. And Cain is being warned by God. Look, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. 
It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin didn't desire to have Cain like, I like you. No, sin, get this, was desiring to control Cain. And women, I think in the exact same way that Cain was threatened to be controlled by sin, it's easy for you to desire, that is to desire to control your husband. And a lot of your college women, you're like, I don't know, but we kind of do know what that's like. For a woman who God made the man to be a loving, caring leader in the relationship, it is very easy for a woman to begin to look down to him, to speak down to him, and to treat him like he's basically the biggest boy in the family. And I can say as a man, I don't need to be loved by my wife. I need to be respected. She desires to be loved. I desire to be respected. It means the world when she respects me. It hurts when I'm not. And I'm telling you, it is a temptation to look down, speak down, and to try and control and to lead the family. And I grant you this, women, that men in their struggles are all too ready to let whoever lead because of our struggle with passivity. But this controlling nature, sin desired to control, she will desire to control. And then it says, and equally haunting, in fact, I think worse, but he will rule over you. He was meant to be a loving leader, a protector, a guide. No, now his temptation is going to be to use that force or strength to dominate, to rule over. An equal consequence of sin, perhaps worse. And then to the man. I said the woman's curse was primarily in the domain of family. To the man and his work. Look, it says that your work is going to be cursed. He says... The ground's cursed because you, you'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles by the sweat of your brow until you return to it. Look, for the man, he would have futility and struggle in his work. God had just made work to be a joy, to be a delight. Now it's going to be cursed. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a grind. Look, work is a gift from God. But your coworkers sometimes feel like a curse from the devil. <laughs> There's going to be hardship at work. There's going to be a part of it that is just like, oh, my word, get home and exhausted. And just, can you believe that? Man would feel the curse of the garden in his job. And look how this passage ends before we get back to the serpent's curse. The Lord God said, verse 22, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever so the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Now they would live east of Eden, clothed, interestingly, in animal skins. I understand that to be the first death in the garden would be animals whose skins would be used to graciously clothe God's first man and woman as he ushers them out of the garden. Guys, here is what went wrong, but here is how God will fix it. 
And I never would have seen this in my first shot through Genesis 3. I want you to see today that there is the hope of the cross hidden in the curse to the devil. I want you to see that. Because Adam and Eve left the garden, yes, dejected, but I believe hearing the first note of the gospel, the first ringing of the gospel coming from the very curse that they heard from the devil. Look back at what was said to the devil. It'll be up on the screens, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And if you've tuned out, if you've tuned out of what I'm saying, get back with me. You have to see this. Listen to what God does. God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Now look at verse 15. It is the first echo of the gospel. God speaking to Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let me slow down and explain this to you. God speaking to the devil says, I'm going to put hostility, enmity, strife, fighting. You're going to be at war. There's going to be a war between you, Satan, and the woman. Now keep watching what he does here. But the war is not just going to be Satan between you and Eve. Get this. The war is going to be between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring. Now, you could imagine offspring from Eve, naturally, children descended, a lineage. What does this mean? How can Satan have offspring? He's an angel. He didn't get more angels. They don't procreate. How does that happen? Interestingly, the Bible, years later, when Jesus speaks to the Jewish leaders who are about to crucify him, he's saying to them, your father is the devil, and you're doing his desire. So those who are controlled by the devil, they're not yet followers of Jesus. They are controlled. The devil is still the authority of their life. They are of the offspring of the devil. So listen, God is saying to Satan, I'm going to put strife, a war between the ones who will come from Eve and the ones who you will influence. And then he gets more specific. And here is what, what theologians have called the proto-evangelium. The first gospel, the first echoes of it are right here. He, now singular, one of the offspring of Eve, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Zoom out. Someone is going to be descended from the lineage of Eve, a singular person who will strike your head. Remember, a serpent, a crushing blow to the head would be a lethal ending blow. But offspring from the devil will first strike his heel, will in some way injure, hurt. Something less than a crushing blow, still a painful blow will happen to that descendant of Eve. Do you see what's going on? Do you see the foreshadowing? Here's what's happening. Although Adam and Eve's sin would lead them to judgment, justice, and humanity would feel not just the effects of sin, but also would be culpable of their own sin heading towards judgment, God is giving them a promise. There is hope whispered to them in the midst of this curse of the devil that someone is going to come Eve from your lineage that will turn it all back. 
that will push back all the movement of the devil. Someone is going to come from your lineage, Eve, that will deal a crushing blow to Satan. True, Adam failed to do his job. Well, there's a second Adam coming. The first Adam saw the serpent slither and he goes, oh, look, a talking snake. Okay, tempt my wife. Okay, I'll take fruit from her and then I'll blame her for my sin. But there is another Adam coming. There is one descended from the line of Eve. Jesus Christ is his name. And he would come, oh, he'd be tempted by food also. But you know what? He didn't give in, not for a moment. He said, man doesn't live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, this second Adam stood up against the same devil, went head to head with him, and he succeeded where the first Adam had failed. And herein lies the gospel message, that someone, Adam and Eve, though your eyes stream with tears, though you're putting an animal skin on for the first time, though you're being ushered towards the east edge of Eden, though in the midst of the curse, there is hope, because someone will come from you. And as the scriptures unfold, we get a clearer and clearer vision of this Jesus of Nazareth who would live perfectly where we have not lived perfectly, who would then sacrificially die on the cross, not for his sins, he had none, but for our sins because we were full of them. And after the cross three days later, he would triumphantly rise from the dead. Though the cross was like the striking of his heel, it looked fatal, it was not. He died and rose and beat the cross. He comes over with the resurrection and boom, crushes the serpent's head. Do you see what they saw that day? Do you hear what they heard? Into the darkness of their despair, God spoke the light of hope. Defeat is about to give way to victory. Into judgment comes a hope of rescue. Death is now defeated by life. Jesus is coming. A new day is about to dawn. And all that darkness and all that defeat and all the shame that you and I feel and all the guilt that we feel, it is vanquished when you come to put your trust in Jesus, when you find forgiveness. Now despair, guilt, shame, eternal hell is replaced with joy, happiness, lightheartedness, and the hope of heaven. Jesus said he would do it. Jesus has done it. To God be praised, the gospel was heard first by Adam and Eve. Isn't that awesome? This is the first sounding of the gospel. And they must have had that in their hearts as they walked out of the garden. I'm telling you, the most worshipful part of this message for me is this. It's that God didn't wait hardly any time at all to give them hope. You see that? Here they were totally blowing it in the garden. God could have been like, yeah, I'm so mad. Just wallow in that. Yeah, I hope your guilt buries you. What's shame feel like? I'll give it 10,000 years before I give you any hope. You don't even deserve that. Not at all. He just asked some questions, not to shame them, but to draw out to help them understand and as soon as he's cursing the devil, he just puts the seed of the gospel right in that curse. So quickly does he give them hope. And the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 up to the last two chapters of the Bible, the whole narrative is how he is enacting a plan to win all of mankind back to himself. This is the gospel. This is our God. And I'm telling you, some of you, you've been in your shame and guilt long enough, way too long. God is not the author of guilt and shame. 
feel bad for your sin, yes, it's against the holy God, but not to a point of despair, to a point of forgiveness. And let that sense of shame and right shame, judgment, cause you to run to Jesus who is all too eager to forgive you. Oh, today, today could be the day you step out of the shadows, out of your darkness, and find hope in the gospel. We're gonna close, Ben, I want you to come forward. We're gonna close, and in this closing song, there is a line in the bridge. There is a line in the bridge that says this, not for a minute was I forsaken. Not for a minute. Adam and Eve, they're just in the garden, had just blown it, and yet not forsaken. And guys, today might be the day where you go, I need the forgiveness that God was talking about way back then in the garden that has now come the person of Jesus. Put your trust in him and be forgiven. But maybe you just need to be prayed for. Look, we're going to have some men and women standing up front here off to the sides. If you have anything going on in your heart, you just want to be prayed for, oh, be humble enough to come forward and be prayed while we close this service.